and welcome to El Agarra, the podcast. I'm your host, Abdullah, and today's guest is... Michael Schwalbe. Yeah, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> I had to get you to say it, because I, I have no idea how to pronounce your last name. I'm like... You're not the only one. It's, you know, it, it, when I started my business, I was not embarrassed of that, but was, like, worried about it, so I, I used a business name, what he said voiceovers, uh, but then over the years, I have discovered... It's good to have a weird name that nobody else has because then you don't have to compete for SEO. So there you go. But but then the problem with weird names is that it always gets misspelled when you're getting a package or something. Yes. Yeah. To make things worse, I go by my middle name. Uh, my first name is actually Brian. So not only is my last name weird, but I'm constantly getting my first name messed up too. <laughs> uh, you couldn't you couldn't have done Brian Michael? Uh, that's a cool name. I mean, I could have. <laughs> Basically, my, my mom wanted to name me Michael. My dad wanted to name me after himself, Brian. Dad got the technical victory, and mom got the real victory. So I've always been Michael. <laughs> Although I think my IMDb page says B. Michael Schwalbe. So now I know what the B stands for, so... <laughs> Badass! <laughs> no. Yeah, Brian. that's so... So, um, so how did we get started in this wonderful journey we call... In this uh, wonderful journey we call life, I guess. <laughs> life? Oh, we're going way back. Well, it all started when I was a young boy. Um, I, as many voice actors do, uh, had, or have, rather, uh, had a compulsion to do stupid voices all the time. And somehow I managed to figure out how to turn that into a job instead of just uh, something to annoy your friends with. What I started getting serious about it was... Um, uh, after college, I had some friends in college and we all fancied ourselves as like voice people and we would do our impressions and whatnot. And, and growing up, like my brother and I, um, Brandon, would play almost D&D &D kind of make-believe games where we would just create our own worlds and storylines and uh, each of us would play and do the voices for half the characters. And so my whole life I've been doing stupid voices. And so I thought I was going to be a full-time like touring singer. And I was, so I was really passionate and fancied myself as pretty good at singing. And then uh, got a job in the music industry after college, found out that nobody circa 2010 was making any money in the music biz. Uh, but then some long story short, some connections and opportunities at, at the record label I was working at resulted in me doing some video like narration for some of their artists and a phone system here and blah 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 and then eventually uh they were like hey do you want to do blake shelton's cma promotion video and i was like wait hold on are you gonna pay me and doing stuff that's like like presenting for your cma consideration the reigning entertainer of the year like that kind of vibe and so they were like no we're not gonna pay you because you're already on the payroll and I was people that have heard other interviews with me. I tell this story a lot, but uh, I was like, well, yeah, I'm on the payroll, but over in like Christian media sales and you're over in like artist uh, development. And like these are not uh, across the street. This is not the same payroll. But that was when God was like, hey, you should do this for your job. And I was like, OK, so I saved up a bunch of money. I sold a huge trading card collection, and then I just decided to take a plunge thanks to a healthy amount of privilege and um, uh, safety nets. <laughs> and I didn't go bankrupt, and here we are eight years later, and somehow tens of millions of people have heard my voice, and probably none of them knew it was me. 
Uh, I, I was I was just about to say because I looked up your IMDb and I'm kind of surprised that uh, that uh, you've done a lot of projects that you that I I'm aware of I've listened to but I could not pick your voice out in a lineup of people <laughs> like I yeah couldn't. I get it constantly that I'm I'm kind of the vocal chameleon that uh, I I'm while I think I can do the you know character narration like like story focus kind of stuff what I find myself doing a lot is the utility kind of roles where like they need an actor that can come in and, and do 30 different creatures or um, side roles and stuff like that because I just have such a you know not to pat pat myself on the back too much but a, a pretty serious vocal range um, and so that's been what I've been doing a lot. And now as I've gotten more established, I'm, I've been uh, finding myself with the opportunities to do more story driven roles. And that's a lot of fun. I mean, that's what you want really. Like, you know, you start out doing the, you know, the, the background characters and incidentals, and then you slowly move up to, to establish characters. Yeah, that's kind of the pipeline. I, I went a slightly different route. I actually, for the first few years of my my voiceover journey, was doing pretty much solely corporate and commercial work um, for various businesses, radio commercials and stuff like that, and was making pretty decent money doing that. And then because I was such a nerd growing up and playing so many games and loving anime and all that kind of stuff, uh, after I was already working in voiceover full time was when I was like, you know what? I want to do more character stuff. Where do I go find that? And then started making it a, a, a career priority to do more uh, character work instead of just $500 lease bonus cash on Highlander, you know, Toyota commercials and stuff. But I mean, like that's still like, I've talked to a lot of people and, and they say, you know, they, they enjoy promo work more than they do, you know, other work and that's fine. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the person who enjoys like listening to people create characters. You know, I just love, um, I mean, does a character actor even exist in the realm of voiceover? Cause I think everyone's a character actor in general. So yeah, that's that's a uh, interesting point, and there's a lot of debate about that because a lot of successful um, commercial and corporate people will still say, "Look, these are still characters that we're portraying. It just might be a training manager for a company, and I'm playing that character as opposed to playing like a pig demon." <laughs> but uh, you know, so everything has a little bit of a story in it, aside from maybe legal copy, you know, avoid were prohibited, like kind of stuff that that's more of just technical or or maybe medical narration probably doesn't have a whole lot of character in it. But um, but the I love I genuinely love all the, the different genres, save maybe audiobooks. I do them, but they're a, a, a unfortunate necessity sometimes. But uh, but like it's hard to beat commercials for the sheer fact of how much money they pay because <laughs> you can work hours doing a video game or hours doing anime and make two uh, percent uh, as much as a, a really solid commercial campaign would pay for like the same amount of time in the booth so so it's i, I like being well-rounded because then i can i can have fun doing the character work i can still afford a house by doing my commercial work and <laughs> you get the best of all the worlds i guess I mean, yeah, because um, cause promo is where it's at. Like, promo is where... Oh, promo yeah. makes stupid money. Yeah, because <laughs> that's the thing is, like, you know, most people probably know, you know, David Kay from his, uh, you know, 
character yeah, work. Yeah character work but where he makes the most money is his promo work like that's yeah, the, that's the more. that's the butter of his um you know his uh his income and which is weird because you can have like it just goes to show you like you can be one of the greatest actors of all time but you know you're you're not going to get residuals for any of the shows you've been on even if you do it's probably going to be like what <laughs> one cent <laughs> or even less well, than that right and and that's the problem and one of the reasons that I, I like doing commercial work, um, especially if it's union commercial work, because there is residual income. You know, if they pick it back up or it expands into another market, you'll get additional compensation. Whereas, like, you know, the the show that I just um, I just did a three hour dubbing session right before this, and it's it's going to be on Netflix and like cool, uh, but like dubbing pays dirt and if it ends up getting picked up by hulu instead it doesn't matter that a whole new audience is going to see it i don't get any extra money for that uh for that show just because of the way dubbing the dubbing contracts are work it's pretty much purely uh just paid by studio hour and labor so it doesn't make for a, a, a very stable uh income further on because you don't have um the income coming in from past works you've got to just keep grinding basically so uh so there's there's definitely pros and cons to all the different genres um and same video games are the same way even if it's a union video game uh you don't get any extra money um for a game reaching five million units sold or a hundred units sold or if it if your performance gets picked up and put in a new game by that like it's remastered or something you're almost certainly not going to get any extra money for that so character work is tough in that regard that you you can never really get comfortable and just sit back on your past work and make money off it you've got to constantly be doing new projects such as life and you know, from what I hear, like the Netflix anime contracts are at least a little bit better than the than the other ones. Slightly, but yeah. very slightly. I'll, I'll just uh, tell you that Los Angeles uh, Union anime scale is uh, sixty five dollars an hour, I think, with a two hour minimum. And then it's worse in Texas uh, for like the Funimation stuff that pays like thirty five dollars an hour if you're brand new. And and then if you and that's not even like per episode. So like if you've got a, a side role or you're doing background voices and you get hired for like an hour or two, you'll get like a check for 70 bucks from them for the whole show. And then you're just done. <laughs> it's not easy to live off that. But I don't I don't do a ton of anime, uh, at least yet. I've been in a few. But again, usually it's the background kind of stuff. And um, I wouldn't mind doing more of it because it's a lot of fun. And it's the best for follower, like follower counts and notoriety um, and convention appearances. That's where you get the money because you certainly don't get it from the sessions. But so it's kind of inverse relationship. Commercials, you get no fans and all the money. And in anime, you get all the fans and no money. And, and I think that's why like a lot of people don't do anime in general because it pays nothing. And, yeah. and, and, yep. and a lot of people like I've had people on the show blatantly say I'm, I will never do anime because it pays nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't blame you because it's like, well, what, and that's sorry. Go ahead. No, because it's like you're only getting paid like what? $65 for an entire session for an entire series. It's like, come on, man. Possibly. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, like I have some friends that like get booked for 
a solid 40 hours a week for anime and like cool that you know then that's a pretty decent wage but it's so so taxing um because if you think about the animes that maybe you have or haven't watched the screams and battle cries and yelling at the top of your lungs because your your friend is is about to die and like you're just shredding your voice um and if you're you know two three four hours into a session and you lose your voice you just can't work the rest of the day so it's it's really really hard um and certainly should be paid more than it is um but the union negotiated the dubbing contract back in the mid 90s maybe and it's never changed since then so it's it's overdue for a for an overhaul yeah the last time they got a raise was 1999 Ugh. <laughs> gross so yeah so and as a result a lot of people look down on anime actors or say that like an- people that do anime aren't real actors because they accept such low rates or whatever but like i don't know people people are always looking for a reason to be elitist about something well, I mean, you have to. I mean, I mean, there's always going to be like I never like this idea of you know, you know. Yes, I understand. Like you know, voice actors are more welcoming. It's a more it's a smaller community, but there's still like some elitism. I mean, you still have your you oh know, for sure. You still have your That's... top guys and your you know middle middle guys and you know the lower tiered people. You know, it's it, I mean, you still see it. And and there is still like the whole you know should we even count the people over in Texas as you know part of the part of uh, voiceover because you know they only do anime right well the big the big um, divide is is still between union people and non-union people because the union actors largely see the non-union actors as like undermining their business and. But the the real issue is the union itself has just failed to adapt um, to a dramatically different working environment and world uh, compared to what it was even 10 years ago um, because they they've kind of got their pile of celebrity money and that's they they kind of really only cater to celebrities and so voice actors are just largely forgotten and ignored by the union um, while pretty much 90 plus percent of voiceover work has left the union so it's it's gotten really challenging so most of the the real elitists you see are those people that are seeing their bookings slumping because they only do union work and they feel threatened and they get mad oh yes (laughs) i say that a lot it's like i i will only accept union work i'm like okay you know you uh I'm I'm Ficor. I do both, so I don't really have a dog in the race. I mean, it's it. I mean, I, it's understandable. It pays better. You know, you get more exposure and whatnot. But at the same time, it's like you know, you're kind of there. There is going to be points in your career where you're going to get a slump. When you get where you're going to have a little slump, and you know, it, it wouldn't hurt to take like a little bit of you know non-union jobs here and there. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, well, I it's it's just gotten too difficult, really. Um, I mean, even living in Los Angeles, uh, the number of union auditions are just so slim nowadays that, uh, sure, some of them pay really well, but some of them really don't. I mean, my first ever union job was a, a lottery commercial for the state of Tennessee, and I think I it was it was a radio spot, and I think I made two hundred thirty bucks on it. Like, not gonna pay the mortgage off that, you know. So. Um, it just 
But then uh, some union jobs pay like really crazy good, and also there just nothing beats getting a big check in the mail that you weren't expecting from a you know another episode of a show getting rerun that you weren't expecting, and you just get another session fee out of it. So I would love if the union would get its act together and make their services relevant. But for instance, I do a lot of casting work too, and um, I got approached by a foreign game developer one time to do well i you probably know what the game it was bless online um they went out of business so uh what i'm not like i'm under nda over that uh so they they were asking me to help them localize the game into english so we uh i, I put a budget together for them it was very large um almost a hundred thousand dollars for everything for 25 plus actors and just a couple hundred hours of sessions. And, um, and so they approved it. They were like, okay, cool. The studio that was working for them said, well, so I went to the union and I was like, Hey union, I've got this huge video game. They've got a serious budget more than enough to pay for union scale. Let's turn this game union, um, and make the project union. And they're like, uh, well, you'll need a minimum lead time of three weeks in advance. And then you have to fill out these papers and you have to get the studio to become a union signatory in perpetuity. Like all these stupid hoops and hurdles that we had to jump through. And they wanted weeks of time in advance to to do this stuff. And I was like, well, we need to start recording in five days. And they're like, oh, well, then we just can't help you. So like that is the basically, in a nutshell, exemplifies the union's complacency where – even if huge projects land in their lap, they still don't want to change their really slow bureaucracy kind of crap to to make concessions to get new new blood. And so they're just losing clients um, because non-union things, you can literally cast it, record it, and ship it within like a day. Well, they're not going to – in our fast – fast and getting faster paced world that kind of time and convenience matters more to them and there now are plenty of good non-union actors so it's not like the union can say well all the good actors are in the union because it's just not true anymore so that's uh, a a few of the reasons that the union has really lost its uh, relevance lately but it still gives me my health care so i hope they get their act together Oh man, yeah, and especially like with the recent controversy surrounding the healthcare. <laughs> oh yeah, ooh, America. <laughs> Only in America. Um, yeah. No, but I mean, you know, it, you bring up a good point in that you know we're starting to see a, a shift in that you know we're starting to see like more indie games using non-union voice actors that that you know come out oh, more yeah. come out more faster. Because they know it's like, hey, you know, if we hire non-union people, we can get this done quick. Like the record mm-hmm. session isn't going to take forever because the union is not going to sit on their asses waiting for, you know, we're not going to sit on our asses waiting approve, waiting for improvement from the union to tell us when to record right. our game, you know? Well, and and the the union video game contract is still based on more or less what games were like 20 years ago. And gaming has just gotten so diverse that a lot of games don't even really fit the the current confines of the union contract. Uh, like, for instance, I did the casting and a bunch of voice work for the game. Uh, it was a card game called Eternal. Well, between the first few card sets, we had more than 700 roles, quote-unquote. You know, a lot of them are one or two lines for a card. but And, and a couple dozen actors um, covering all of those. But under the union contract... 
your your sessions are four hour minimum with up to three voices. That's totally irrelevant to the kind of sessions that we were trying to do for Eternal, where I would maybe need one, maybe two hours with an actor, and we would go through 10 or 15 cards per actor. So if I was going to do all those, set, like three rolls per session, I would only need like 20 minutes of that four hours, and it would cost me like $900, and we would need like hundreds of actors and sessions. And because so it just... That kind of thing you you run into a lot too where I can't even make this game fit under the union contract because gaming doesn't look the way that it used to. Um, you don't just have a few storyline narrative-driven games. You've got voice in all sorts of different applications like mobile games or card games and other things like that. So it's, it's challenging, um, but that just pushes more work toward non-union. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's the reason like why you're seeing, you know, productions use non-union voice actors because they're like, hey, we need this done in a certain period. And if we use like union people, it's probably going to take forever. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, but I mean, that's it is what it is. You know, the world is ever changing. I, I just find it hilarious how the more things change in the industry, the you know, the the less the industry wants to change in a way where it's like, you know, we, we want to die by the old guard. We don't want to, to adapt to the change, but you kind of well, have the reality to. <laughs> is the reality is that the union doesn't, like I said, doesn't really care about voiceover. And even if, even if all of voice work goes non-union, it's, it's really not going to affect the union's bottom line because the vast majority of their money comes from Hollywood and big AAA celebrities that are in big blockbuster films and stuff. And so the, the voiceover like is just kind of, we got kind of got lumped in during the SAG after a merger and like nobody really pays attention to, there's not a lot of staff or leadership that do it. And, but, but because the, because SAG after is so powerful and big, there's really no other, there aren't really any other groups that fill that niche. And so voice actors are just kind of, kind of left in the, in this awkward limbo of like, well, we're a part of this union that doesn't really care about us, but there's nowhere else for us to go. But there's also no way for us to improve things because the union won't listen to us. So that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at. No, I mean, I remember way back when, you know, the merger was happening, you know, a lot of voice actors were very vocal about it because they're like, hey, you know, they're not going to it's you know, it's not going to improve the voiceover. It's not going to like change the way things are run. If anything is going to make things worse, because, you know, SAG doesn't really care about, you know, voiceover. They just want, you know, the Hollywood celebrities. So, you know, I'm sure you've heard all this a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, but, you know, that's that's the way things are. And you kind of. We kind of have to make the most of it, really. Like we really can't, yep. uh, you know, sit and I'm complain. I'm still making a living either way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, especially especially nowadays with COVID and and, and the nightmares. Right. And, oh. <laughs> COVID has changed the business a lot. Um, I actually left Los Angeles because all the studios were closed for months and months on end. And uh, I've every session that I've had, including my, my ADR session earlier today, um, I just do from home now. And so I 
personally don't think that it's really going to go back to the way it was. Uh, I think that some, maybe anime, will go back to in-studio stuff just because it's much more efficient um, because latency for dubbing makes it tough to get as much work done. But commercials and promo and even video games and like all those kind of genres of work are pretty easy to do from home and so i i think it's going to stay remote maybe forever um i know a lot of agencies that are used to only focus on or consider los angeles based talent are now opening their doors to people around the country um because even the agents have have moved away and so kind of everybody is just working remotely now so it's who knows if it'll stay that way but i i really think it will so i've i've beefed up my home studio and and gotten some more upgrades to make it as bulletproof as possible i mean i i think i've said this before but i truly believe that um you know the days of ensemble records at at studios mm-hmm. is probably going to be over like yeah. i don't i don't i don't imagine it um i don't imagine it lasting you know I don't imagine it. I don't imagine it uh, lasting because, like, the moment they figure it out that they can just record everything via Source Connect or Zoom or whatever, like that's it. Like, you know, the studios are going to look at that and say, you know, why are we wasting money on studios? You know, getting people together for in the studio at the same time when we can just like get them to record from home. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you still see it occasionally here and there, especially in animation, which is kind of the last bastion of the old guard but uh you never really see it in games anymore um bug snacks was one of the last games that i've heard of that did a full like old school style ensemble recording and as a result the everybody has said and won awards already for how good the voice acting was because they made it such a priority but they're probably going to be one of the last but really like i've done ensemble recordings via skype and zoom and discord like the the or source connect like you said the the quality of streaming audio has improved so much that really we don't have to be there in person to still have a pretty compelling um and pretty high quality ensemble recording so it it might look a little different and we might not be able to hang out in person but uh i think we can still collaborate and communicate in that kind of same way and bounce performances off each other which always makes something sound a lot more authentic i mean uh you mentioned bucks next and i had actually had no idea that game was recorded ensemble i had just assumed that they had just recorded it like the, the same way they did before. yeah we, the the snack actors or snackters if you will like myself we did our sessions individually um and remotely but the main narrative storyline and the main characters the grumpuses they all recorded in person um at uh oh god where was it <sighs> It wasn't Formosa. Oh, it was Bright Skull. They did it, and um, and yeah, they they had like all twenty of them there, and just what a what a thrill because the voice cast in that game is insane. It's so stacked. Uh, it, everybody that matters <laughs> is in that game seemingly, and uh, so that had to be just so much fun. I know even my session, we we had just a absolute ball we were laughing so hard we were crying uh even just individually uh it was so much fun no that's pretty cool it's nice seeing like any game get ensemble recording 
because <laughs> yeah, it was such a big deal that PlayStation uh, did a whole blog write up on it and had a had a full voice cast, even full voice cast write ups and profiles, and then Bug Snacks made videos for all the voice actors that were a part of it for their announcements. So like they put more emphasis on on the voice acting than maybe any game I've ever seen, uh, and I think it really paid off. It's a great game. It's a great game because, um, you know, you, you, you walk into it expecting, like, this really kiddie game, but it's really dark. I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> it Completely. And, and I think what, you know, without getting into too big of a tangent on writing and game design tropes, one of, one of my favorite parts of Bug Snacks and games like it are, even though no game is really like it, but what I mean is games that are just so out there, you know, is is they never justify their creative decisions. They just let them exist. Like, so many games and writers kind of wimp out, and, and if something really weird happens, they'll try to, like, give a rationale for it. Or, you know, for instance, if when you first eat one of the Strabbies and your arm becomes a Strabby, spoiler, Sorry, everybody that hasn't played Bug Snacks. Um, most games would be like, well, you see, if you eat a Strabby, it makes your biology do this, and this makes sense in our world because of this. And Bug Snacks just was like, yeah, if you eat it, you turn into one. And then they just left it. Like, they didn't explain why, or at least not immediately. And you're just kind of sitting there like, what? Uh what and and so all these really weird creative decisions you're just left to process them on your own and and to this is the world you're in in this world when you eat a bug snacks you turn into a fruit don't ask questions and that makes it so fun i think rather than try to do mental gymnastics to why this is possible who cares just be creative and and let the gamers figure out why why it is that way it's not like the far the far cry series or they're like we have to have a sequence where the character gets high so we can have a trippy sequence and i'm like just just do right. a trippy sequence for god's sake right. it's not yes precisely and that, that's and what just, I... just make it so this island makes you have trippy experiences it's it's okay not everything has to be completely grounded another one that was like that was the katamari damashi like way back on the playstation that like they never asked or rationalized why the prince of the cosmos would like be able to turn balls of people and cars and buildings into planets. It just is that way. In this world, this is how it is. And I think that makes for a much better gaming experience. I mean, just have fun with it. And like just just have fun with the absurdity. I think the problem with like modern storytelling in games is like everyone wants to have a grounded experience and that's fine for some games. I understand that, but at the same time it's like, you know, it, you're still making a video game and people play these to to relieve stress and get away from from the harsh reality of life. So you know, have fun with it. Don't 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 try to say, okay, he, this character can do this because of science or whatever. It's just like they can just fly, okay? They can just fly. <laughs> and I I feel like, well, I'm I'm not gonna say that there's a trend swinging back the other way because there might not be quite yet. Uh, but I feel like I'm seeing more big budget games that are okay with that kind of absurdity um between bug snacks and then the forthcoming uh destruction all-stars that's going to be coming out on playstation 5 is also really um over the top and kind of cartoony and, and explodey and stuff but like doesn't doesn't spend a lot of time like 
rationalizing why these people can do the crazy things they do. And so I hope that games will get back to that and, and just let games be games and not try to explain everything or turn them into playable audiobooks. But that worked so well for Telltale, right? <laughs> So that's why that's why they're still around. That's a that's a whole podcast in and of itself. Or <laughs> Telltale. I mean, I say this as someone who is a big fan of Telltale. I, I love their games, but uh, yeah, towards the end, they just became visual novels and not really good visual novels. Totally. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody was really doing the kind of visual novel thing that they were doing, but. Yeah, that was, I think, I don't know the full story, so I'm not going to totally speculate, but I think I heard that it was mostly just financial mismanagement by the studio and then some marketing blunders uh, that ended up costing them. But yeah, it was it was sad because like, I'd go to conventions and stuff and you'd just see like throngs of telltale refugees that are looking for new jobs and stuff. It's like, man, that's that's tough. Oh, especially the the day they closed down. Like I saw like so many posts on Twitter saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're if you're a former Telltale employee looking for work, you know, our our offices are open. Please get back to us." And she's like, "Oh, yeah. that's so sad. That is so yeah. sad." But I mean, yeah, it's you're starting to see change. You're starting to see more experimentation in gaming, which I like. You know, it, it, we're we're out that we're out of that period in the two thousand in the late two thousands where everything had to be so realistic and everything had like that dog shit uh, uh, color palette. <laughs> <laughs> Those were those are great times, but uh, you know we're starting to you're starting to see more experimentation. You're starting to see more and more studios be you know give uh, give writers more creativity. You're starting to see you know complex storytelling being told in in various games, and I like that. You know, it's it has variety. You're not getting the same old thing over and over again. Yeah, gaming is more diverse than it's ever been, and um, the democratization of technology is partially to uh to attribute to that because now you can make a game all by yourself with very little uh cost up front compared to how it used to be you know it's still it's it's hard to make money and it can often take a lot of money especially if you've got a little bit of a team behind it but compared to the way or and the cost that used to be there for game development it's it's so much easier and if you've got a really good game mechanic or like a really solid fresh idea uh i mean Clearly, it's not the norm, but like Undertale and even back all the at Minecraft and like the number of people, Stardew Valley, that just had a great game and a great vision and then just did it themselves. That's insane <laughs> compared to the way that games used to be and the kind of console driven or P- like difficulty they had with PC development um, 15, 20 years ago. So. It's a it's an exciting time to be a, a gamer for sure. Oh yeah, I totally forgot. Like Five Nights at Freddy's was just made by one oh, guy. Oh, Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yep, he's another one. Scott, insane. Yeah, you know, it's Slender. That's another one made by like a small team. Just holy crap, man! Like a lot. You, you just look back and and think, wow, like we're at that point where anyone can make a video game. You don't really need that much and. It's amazing. And every really. time you think like every time you think, oh, every good game mechanic or every good game idea has been made, somebody comes up with something that's just again kind of turns the turns the tables and and makes something completely new and fresh and again compelling. And uh, it's really cool. Yeah, man, it's 
just great uh, great time to to be to to be to be working in video games because you're getting a lot of variety in the roles you're you're getting. It's not always the same thing. So yep. <laughs> yeah, I n- I never know. I I've done two casino games like slot machine games, and then I just did this dubbing thing today, and then I've got a session tomorrow for a big. All they said was that it is extremely complicated and huge. Uh, so I have no idea what it is, but uh, I know I'm going to be recording for four hours for it. So hopefully it's something cool. Hopefully. <laughs> so a lot <laughs> you never know, especially under NDAs where it's like it's under a different title and then. Oh, you don't know anything. <laughs> um, and that's that was one of the things uh, back in the video game strike that we were trying to change was having a little more transparency about what the heck we're working on. Because like, for instance, when in one for my devil may cry five session, I didn't yet live in Los Angeles. So I flew out to Los Angeles for it. And uh, I was at the studio, which had no sign, no identifying info at all. Uh, I just walked into a door that was open, hoping that it was the right building. Nobody was in there. I just kind of like, hello, wandered around, finally found a studio that was just in the back corner of this building. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, welcome to your session here. We'll, we'll get you in the booth. I was putting my headphones on in the booth, and they were handing me the script, and that was when I found out that it was Devil May Cry 5. After I had already flown to Los Angeles and uh, gone to the studio, and then I'm putting the headphones on, and they tell me, oh, by the way, I, your character is Balrog, and, and it's Devil May Cry 5. And so that kind of secrecy is just, like, insane, kind of. And then I wasn't able to talk about it for almost two years. Um, that it it was so... I don't think it was delayed, necessarily, but just they recorded my scenes so early in development. Um, and, yeah, you just sit in NDA for sometimes literally years, and you're like, well, I guess I'll just get comfortable literally never talking about this to, to anyone. Um, and it can be kind of a bummer but uh unfortunately that part of the the video game strike did not uh was not successful so things are pretty much still right like that that you don't know what you're recording for you don't know how many roles you're doing everything is code names even well after the session sometimes for my mafia sessions i didn't know it was mafia until after my first session i was just recording like random street thugs and stuff so yeah, it's it's incredibly secretive. Yeah, even when they send you a script, it's under code names. So unless you're like really yep. smart, you have to, you know, you have to understand like what you're. Now I will say sometimes they sometimes they slip up or I I don't know if it's just carelessness or if they maybe assume that the actors are not also big fans. But like for Half Life, when I was recording my auditions for it. I remember reading through the script and then there was one line that mentioned the combine and I went, the code name was Jamiroquai was, uh, half-life Alex was the code name. And I, w- I saw combine. And I went, <gasps> they're making a new half-life. And so then I was like, I have to book this. <laughs> and I did thankfully. But, uh, but it was so funny that it was like, why is this code named when you're sending us, a script that has like one of the most iconic enemy 
species names in it. Like anybody who has ever played a video game knows that the combine is Half-Life. So yeah, I don't, I don't know, but uh, that one was a uh, not so secretive code. <laughs> I guess someone forgot to take that out <laughs> from the script. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, or or maybe they just. It's also possible, maybe that the people that were casting it or whatever didn't know, really, or hadn't played the games because there's so much turnover in the the video game world that you know, if they if they're like a 22 year old kid that just got out of college and they're doing script script production for this and they're like, ah, I haven't. There's no character names or anything. This is good enough. Send. Um, so you, you, I guess it's all speculation. And and then again, I I just remembered like you know not everyone's going to be familiar with the terms, so not everyone that they hire right. is probably going to be like <laughs> knowing what the combine is. And but I'm a big nerd, and I knew, <laughs> I knew. Yeah. I literally I ran. That was one of the few games that like when I booked that I I literally ran around the house. <laughs> I get to be part of the combine. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, it was it was really fun. And uh, there was two bucket list items because that was also the first session that I had on uh, the Warner Brothers um, lot. And so I got to park under the water tower and wander around the, the studio back lot. And that was pretty awesome. Oh, man, that tower. You're never going to see it again. So I hope you, you took it in. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've I've been there three times so far. So I have a, I have a pretty good feeling that I'll be... I'll be around. But I mean, like, you know, you, you, you don't see it that often, but uh, every time you well, do, Well, especially it's... <laughs> now. It, well, now, now that uh, the post-COVID, you might be right, um, that, that we might not be in person at those studios anymore. So I took my pictures. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the Warner siblings live. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was looking for them, but they, I, they didn't come out. They must have been sleeping. <laughs> um but no i mean you you look at you look at all the projects you've been in and and do you wonder like you know do, do you wonder like if if it, if it's kind of um overwhelming in a sense because you're getting more and more bigger bigger roles and you're trying to it's it's kind of it's half surreal and half like almost boring which is sad um because basically the human brain has this weird way of adapting to whatever its new situation is and so so like when which actually is probably the reason that most voice actors i know seem to be just chronically depressed is because you the way that your career goes in this business is you get a booking, you're happy, and then you get like a better one and you're like, oh, this is my best credit yet. This is my – this is awesome. And then you do a few sessions for it and then you get used to that. You're like, this is the new normal. This is my level now. I am at, at this – I'm going to Sony and I'm going to Warner Brothers. Well, and then if you like have a really bad couple months or if COVID hits and your work dries up or whatever the reason is, then – it's not just that you've gone back to normal. Like you haven't just gone back to where you were before those sessions. Now you've slid backwards and your progress is all like gone. And so you're just morose that you, you've fallen so far from where you were. So like it's, it's really a pretty brutal emotional roller coaster. And like the, the income swings are also just insane, especially if you do commercial work. Because, like, if you do, say, a big commercial pro campaign for Toyota and you get, like, a lot of money and then the next month you don't get hardly any money, 
you're just these wild ups and downs and then you think oh the toyota was just a fluke and i'm never gonna book again and maybe i've been a fraud this whole time and now i'm just i i got all my good luck out of the way and so if you talk i'm sure you've heard these kind of things before because like every voice actor seemingly is just crushed with imposter syndrome um and i feel like i know what i'm doing in so much as i can act but it's such a rejection heavy business um i mean even even at a full time like normal average booking rate you might only be getting one or two jobs for every um hundred auditions that you submit and so if you're then in effect being told no or you're being rejected for 98 out of 100 auditions that you record for for weaker willed people that can be really brutal <laughs> Uh, so it, you know, when I think back to like seven, eight years ago, if I, if I had any idea, the kind of credits and work and clientele and like auditions that would be popping up in my inbox, I probably would have passed out and died. But like when, when you're, when you've had even better, like 2019 was killer for me. I, it was just an incredible year. And compared to that, even though, like, if you look on my IMDb page, I had more credits in 2020 than I did in 2019, my income in 2020 was actually literally less than half uh, from voiceover work um, what I made in 2019 because of commercials and whatnot. So, like, that kind of dramatic swing back and forth can make you feel really, really low. And when... So then when you think, well, yeah, you know, seven years ago, I would still be amazed at where I'm at now. The reality is, is that you're more like, well, I'm actually not amazed. I'm actually pretty miserable because I'm, I'm making so much less money than I was last year because this virus and a whole bunch of other things kind of collectively pooped on me. So it's, it's really uh, – you just get very used to your emotions being all over the place uh, in, in this – business because you're effectively unemployed like 95 percent of the time oh no i i remember like asking someone like at the end of an episode like so what are you currently working on and he's like um i'm currently unemployed yeah right <laughs> literally no it's actually i feel really good that i was able to say like well yeah i just got i had a three-hour dubbing session today and i've got a four-hour video game session tomorrow and like yeah i've always got auditions um because i I've kind of assembled my own Voltron uh, in a way of just I most voice actors will have like a primary agency, whether it's a regional agency uh, in like Texas agency or if it's a national agency um, in New York or Los Angeles. But I've kind of uh, I've put together just this sweeping team of aid talent agencies uh thanks to taking advantage of loopholes in exclusivities and so i've i'm represented by like 12 different regional agencies and a national agency in los angeles so like i've always got auditions that i could be doing and usually i do between six and ten a day but that is you know when you're only getting one or two jobs out of every 100 that you do that means that for the most part you might be working like recording auditions for a couple like two to four hours a day and making literally nothing <laughs> like you you do those four hours of work and you're like okay well i hope one of them pays me and more often than they do they don't so that can be uh very 
it, it can take a toll on your your resilience over time if you especially if you have a really long slump it's especially harder now because like you said with covid you know you don't have the convention circuit to to fall yeah. back on because you can't say hey you know uh work is kind of slow right now i kind of need a convention let's you know do this convention let's, yeah you know, none of that right <laughs> and, and this was last year was supposed to be the first year i was going to do conventions because i finally had kind of enough credits that i would be able to get appearance fees and people would care but uh but i couldn't because they all got canceled um and and every convention was closed so that was that's tough instead i i started teaching some courses um I don't generally like coaching because I feel like, you know, I, I'm not saying anything bad about any coaches when I say this because coaching is a necessary thing and lots of actors need coaching and want to learn. But as somebody that compared to the average person makes uh, more money than them, I feel bad taking money from less successful actors. Like even if I'm teaching them things they don't know and it's under like a workshop or a class – I just don't want to make my living off of other struggling creatives, you know, so I'm not faulting any coach that that is, but that just isn't the way I want my career to look. But this year, again, was really slow. And uh, and because COVID, we're just sitting at home all day, every day. Um, my wife was like, hey, you should maybe think about teaching a class. You've got some free time and you know a lot of things. And so I put together this, this or well, I... <laughs> kind of made up a, a little class that I called Extreme Vocals for Extreme Roles, teaching people, because um, I was a metal singer before I was a voice actor as well, uh, so I know how to do all those crazy vocal techniques safely. So I was like, well, I could teach people how to do that. And so I figured I'd get maybe 10 or 15 people to sign up for it. Well, literally, I, I posted it, and more than 100 people signed up, and I was like, uh, oh, and like I gotta make this like an actual thing. And so I made a mailing list, and I'm tried to structure it and everything. So last year, kind of my free time was free time. And then the, the gaps in the income was somewhat filled by doing this, this extreme vocals class that I made. But uh, I, I haven't done that in a little while now. So a, a bunch of people have been asking me when I am going to do the next one. So if you're listening and you want an extreme vocals for extreme roles class, you you might just have to wait a little longer and follow me on Twitter, <laughs> and you, you'll hear about it. Yeah, and everything's on social media nowadays, so it's not like anyone's going to be like, ah, oh, you know, when's he gonna when's he gonna open his class next? It's on his it's on his yeah. Twitter, guys. It's on his Twitter. You know, he's gonna announce it when he's gonna announce it. But um. No, I mean it's it, it sucks because you know especially when you, your career starts to gain traction and pe more people start to know where, who you are and, and you attract people like me who are you know huge Transformers fans and you hear this guy was Double Dealer and it's like oh yeah man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh man like I I gotta say man you know first of all never in a million years have I ever thought that they would ever put Double Dealer in in an official cartoon in an official animated series because he, he was always one of those characters who was like you know yeah he's cool but we don't know how to uh, how to transition him into into a series so but you know fall of cybertron uh not not fall of cybertron uh war for cybertron earthrise actually did it uh, did it the best way in that you know he's not a decepticon he's not an autobot he's a pirate and i love that and i really loved your performance well and, as, and, as and kind of like <laughs> 
I it's been funny. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, being a gamer and being into anime and stuff, and so like, there's definitely franchises like like Half-Life, you know, that mean a lot to me. But one of the weird things about being a voice actor is like, you know, this my session today and, and the game I'm going to do tomorrow, like they're kind of just paychecks and, and I don't really get involved in, in the lore and the games that often. Sometimes I do, like I played through Ori and the Will of the Wisps and um, just if it's an iconic game, you know, I want to learn more about it. But what what happens more often is that I have no idea how popular something is or could be or if it's an established franchise like transformers like i had no i literally had no idea who double double dealer was and or that he had even ever existed like he could be a new character for all i know so when 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 the show is coming out i also that also was like a year and a half ago i've i've been on nda for double dealer for a long time and so when it finally uh came out that it was actually extra agonizing because I was I was on I was under NDA for like a year and then they're finally like hey War for Cybertron is coming out I'm like yay great it's coming out in like July yes except you're in season two so you still can't talk about it until December so no so that sucked um just to give you an idea of how long i've been waiting to announce that credit but but uh to my previous point like i had no idea that double dealer was anybody or that people would think he's cool like i just did my session and i got my paycheck and like that was it and then it's been really fun to see people's reactions to the role or to see uh, like somebody shared on Twitter, they're like, I cannot believe that that Netflix is airing like a, a a bumper card that shows Optimus and Megatron and Double Dealer as like all three factions. Like they're putting him as equal billing, and I'm I'm suddenly like, oh my god, like I'm gonna care. This random dude that I did in a few hours is on equal billing with Optimus Prime and Megatron. Like, this is insane. So, uh, and that kind of thing happens a lot. Like, uh, Slay the Spire was this just nothing indie game that I did in 30 minutes. And now it's literally, like, the number nine highest rated game of all time on Steam. And so you have no idea what is going to be big or what's not going to be big um, or what people are going to really emotionally resonate with or otherwise like that big game from my uh from my example earlier when i was talking about the casting for bless online i thought that game was going to be big and then it ended up being one of the most embarrassing flops of a video game ever and it's like oh i don't know if i even want to claim that credit anymore <laughs> you look at your IMDb, you, just... you look at your imdb and it's like hey can i can i get this deleted please yeah yeah <laughs> No, I'll leave it on there just because it's funny, but like, uh, or funny to me anyway, but because uh, it was just such a catastrophic failure. But, um, but I mean, the voice acting wasn't that bad. Actually, though, it was. Nobody even knows this because nobody ended up playing the game because, again, it was a catastrophic failure. But I remember I got a, a couple friends to play the game, and they gave me, because I wanted the cinematics and cutscenes for my characters in there, and I wanted to add them to some, like, portfolio videos and stuff to, to have for my credits. And the the client did something to the audio. It wasn't so... 
the way that video game audio works, if you don't know, is that there's like the game developer and then they usually hire a, a game audio company to localize and do the, the voice acting. And then the, that audio company hires us. So I knew the audio company that, that was working with. I've, I've done a few games with them and they're great. So the client, the developer took the audio that they paid this studio a lot of money to, to record and they did some some horrible compression and distortion and and stuff to it that it sounded so bad that I literally took it out of any video that I had I was like I can't I they made us the final product in game sounded so bad I can't put this on any of my demos or portfolio reels so yeah it was it was a flop for a bunch of reasons but anyway I just remembered that <laughs> yeah because I remember listening to the audio and I'm like did they record this in a bathtub? <laughs> what the right? Hell is going yeah, on? it sounded like it was recorded on a phone or something, and like not you know the fifteen thousand dollars of audio equipment that I've got, or the more than that equipment that like the the engineers were using at at Skew Sound. So then whatever compression that that uh, Neo Wiz did to bless Online's audio was horrible. So yeah, you know. You, you can't control everything. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, but, you know, you, you bounce back eventually. and Well, you know. it, well and I mean, nobody really cares. Like, unless you do something catastrophically unprofessional, like be a racist or something. Like, if you're in a game that does poorly, no other studio is, like, keeping tabs on that. They just only listen to your auditions for the next thing. So, really, there's a lot of freedom in voiceover that, like, if you make mistakes or if you do a bad performance nobody nobody notices or cares and they're not keeping track so you can just try to do better you can always try to do better on the next one well, i mean there is one thing you can do that's going to kill your career and that's break nda and that's after that well, you're done <laughs> look except even then not always um i was just yesterday talking to a friend of mine about an actor who uh like super broke NDA and and ended up getting a bunch of his his colleagues blacklisted as a result of because the uh, the studio wasn't able to tell who did it so they just blacklisted all of them but that same dude that that caused it just got hired for another big thing and like another studio so like at the at the worst you'll just cost yourself a gig with whatever one studio you screwed over but there's there's tons of studios. So unless you like make a habit of it to the point that people like talk about you behind your back, even then you can probably still get your get yourself back on track after a little amount of time. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing I've noticed recently is that, you know, people who, you know, fuck up royally always end up coming back because they take yep. that they take that that uh time off social media. Everyone forgets about them. Everybody they... forgets, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People have such a short attention span, um, for better or for worse. So Yep. Yeah, and I just look at that and I'm like, you know, this person broke NDA. Are are you sure you want them back on your on your thing? Okay, cool. You know, cool. That's uh that's your decision. <laughs> I'm not gonna judge. Yeah. But it's also everybody's just so busy that like nobody really has a lot of time to gossip and stuff or like to Oh, did you hear about how stupid this person was? You should never hire them. They just like, well, I'm never going to hire that person again. And then 
they just kind of, that's the end of it. And there's plenty of people to get hired by. So if you're listening and you've made mistakes, relax. Nobody will remember. Uh, trust me, the bullshit that goes on in Hollywood, you know, they'll, and the, yeah. the, the shit people well, have that gotten too, away with. There's always somebody that does something worse. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, um, God, I kind of lost my train of thought. Now I'm thinking about all, all the, thinking about NDAs for some reason. Um, God, uh, oh shit, I forgot my question. Professionalism. Um, maybe I'll ask you a question. (laughs) (laughs) No, go ahead, dude. Freeform discussion. (laughs) Um, God. Who's the best person you've ever had on this podcast that made you go, oh my God, how did I get them on this podcast? Can I get a two P? Can I, can, can it be two people? Sure. Roger Craig Smith and Nika Futterman. Nika who? Nika Futterman. I don't even know her. <laughs> you don't know who Nika Futterman is. No. She I'm was. Gonna, I'm gonna Google. Oh, Google. <laughs> wait, wait for a surprise there. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of credits. <laughs> huh. That's the other thing that's funny in this business is like there there's so many people that you just never heard their names and yet they're in everything. Um, jeez. Oh, she does a she does a lot of animation. That's the one I've been beating my head against uh, against the wall of animation for years now, and it is hard to uh, to break into it. I, I sat down with my agents at um, CESD just to ask them, like, "Hey, you know, are my reads not where they need to be for these roles, or am I like, what what am I doing? Why am I not getting booked for animation?" And they said, "Well, it's." By far uh, of the various industries, union animation like uh, cartoons on Disney and Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, it's all a very small crowd that have all been doing it for years. And because everybody's doing union scale rates, if it's between you and Fred Tattashore, why would they hire you for the same rate that they could hire Fred? And so it's like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. So it's kind of just you have to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. And eventually you'll, you'll get your foot in the door um but it's it's really hard but on the flip side if you get into those circles you can have just a really great stable long-term career if you if you can establish yourself as a um consistent and reliable uh character actor so that's kind of the eventual goal i would love to do more animated uh stuff for those kind of channels but so far it has been uh elusive no man, it's it's tough to break into because you know once they hire, once casting directors have a specific group of people that they want to hire for yeah. roles, they're like, yeah, we got our people. We don't want anyone else. Like we're not gonna put anyone else over. It's like it's just you know we're just gonna use these people. So that's why it takes yeah. for forever for some to, for some for some to break into animation because mm-hmm. you know it's like you're you're up against like the cream of the crop when it comes to voiceover and it's well right yeah i mean i do a lot of character i mean uh creature and monster work but like i'm up against d bradley baker for character and monster work and he's like the king so yeah i'm really good and i've done a lot of it but like am i better than d bradley baker no uh you know am i competitive with him probably but if he's super established 
even if I'm as good as D, if he's established, reliable, they know him, they've worked with him forever, he's still going to get the job over me, even if I'm just as good because he has the uh, the, the history with them. And there's that's just the business, you know. They, there's nothing wrong with that, and I'm not bitter at him at all uh, for it. There's still plenty of work for us, and I'm not starving by any means but it can be for some people that like really get bent out of shape at at like well why have i still you know i've been doing this for two years why can't just chill out give it another five and then then maybe you can throw in the towel if you're still not getting anywhere otherwise you probably haven't given it all the time that you need and again it's it's a, it's a business full of rejection. You're going to get rejected a lot, but you can either learn from from what you were doing wrong or learn from what they wanted and and you know, move forward or you can just like sit around and mope all day. So, your choice. Yeah, well, and and, and people have this weird, especially during the pandemic, there's a lot of people that have have kind of held up voiceover and and voice acting as this dream career that's the the best possible thing for them it's the god hobby and and people have this weird obsession with it uh for some reason and and the the answer for a lot of people is like look it's okay to to accept that it's not for you or to say hey i gave it a try it didn't work out i'm kind of frustrated i just don't think i'm gonna do it anymore and especially on places like twitter or discord like with the the younger actor communities, you'll see the the kind of advice being thrown around a lot. That's like, no, you can't give up. You got to stick with it. You got to give it your all, and you've got to keep trying. You don't actually like. It's just a job. It's a cool job, but it's just a job, you know. And if you end up finding out that it's stressing you out, it doesn't make you happy to pursue it, and you're not having fun. Don't don't do it. There's no reason that somebody should feel like they have to do voiceover work or that they're like not a fan or that they're less of a creative if they give up on it. Like I know a, an actor, it was a young up and coming actor. He was really pretty good. And he ended up deciding that he didn't like voiceover as much as he liked doing broadcasting work, um, you know, like sports calling and, and stuff. Still voice related, but it's not voice acting. And he quit. And like, cool, that's fine. You know, it's you can do that. And it's totally OK. It doesn't make you a bad person. It didn't make mean that you're making a mistake. So uh, especially with how ridiculously competitive and saturated the voiceover world is right now during COVID with so many people out of work. I think a lot of people need to give themselves the freedom and the permission to say, Hey, I'm going to give this a shot. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. And, and then just try something else. Cause so many people get just miserably de- like sad and depressed and that I'll never, this was my dream. This was what God meant for me to do. And like, but there's plenty of fun, creative endeavors besides voice acting. Like, you don't have to do voice acting. So, anyway, that's another uh, pitfall I see a lot of people winding up in. Oh, yeah, I've seen, especially especially these days, uh, people on Twitter and it's like, oh, I'll, I'll never amount to anything, blah, blah, blah. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, don't, and I don't want to be that guy, but I really, like, it, it's tough fighting the urge to, to reply and say, then why are you doing this? Because it's clearly not yeah. making you happy. <laughs> well, really, I mean, really though, and I've I've told a few people like privately, you know, it's okay to 
at the least take a break and like come back to it in another year. But also like a lot of them are like 18 to 22 years old and they feel like this is their last shot ever at being happy. And it's it's like, look, I didn't even think about starting voice acting work till I was 26 and now I'm in my 30s and I I know people that didn't start voice work until they were in their 40s or 50s like there is no there's no benchmark there's no timeline that you've got to hit or else you've failed just take take a second and figure yourself out and then if you want to come back to it you can if you don't you don't have to um but uh, there people put under put themselves under just so much pressure to succeed and so much pressure to um, maintain a, uh, a highlight reel like they see on social media from other actors that they like. And if they're not posting enough new roles and enough new work, that then they're falling behind. They're like Literally nobody is looking at you going like, oh, guess this person's falling behind. Like You are the only person that thinks you're falling behind. It's not a race, and nobody is keeping track of your score. Like, just d- do what you want to do and, and give yourself a break. Yeah, I mean, I, I've known people who've, who've done, like, you know, who've done voiceover and have done other other things because they're like, hey, you know, this is great, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not at that point where I, I want to do this full-time, so I'll just, like, do it part-time and maybe come back to it later. And I'm like, okay, cool, you know, cool. Yeah. Just, just do that. You know, you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like you're not tethered to it. Like you're, you don't have to do this for a living. It's just that's why I always say it's like if this is something you want to do, you know, take the classes, do 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 all that, go to D. Bradley Baker's website. But if you don't want to do it, then cool. I don't really care either way. <laughs> yeah, I just nobody is is expecting you to do anything. Just do what feels fulfilling and compelling and fun for you um because like honestly if if you aren't fulfilled and you're not having fun with this with the work the job is going to kill you because it's just so stressful and so inconsistent even for the people that are professionals that if if there's not some kind of base fulfillment that you're getting out of it um you're probably not going to want to stick to it anyway long term so but that kind of that that crashes the party for the people that are just you know fantasizing about how great it must be to just be anime characters all day and like well a lot of those sessions are look more like you just standing and screaming for three hours and less about like impassioned acting portrayals so it might not be the business you think it is no i mean i because i remember like a lot of people get turned off by anime because they don't like the dubbing process as well because it's like you know beeps got a mouth got a match got to match the lip flaps got to match the yep. lip flaps <laughs> yep yeah it, it can be hard especially in person you know you've got one eye on the director one eye on the screen and one eye on your script and then you're like wait Wait, what? And then you got to keep one eye in your brain for your character portrayal so that you don't lose the lose your sound and and then you get paid really badly. So, yeah, it's it's something. You got to match those lip flaps and if you're out, and if you're like out of, you know, if and if you miss like a second, you have to do it all over again. It's like, "Oh, we missed mm-hmm. that second." Yeah. Well, that's one thing that's that's a little different now about dubbing during COVID is that now because of the latency, basically your first pass is never going to line up correctly. So 
the engineers basically you just do it in time to whatever the video comes through on your side and then they just slide it over to where it needs to be so it's not as efficient as it as it could be in person you know like really talented dubbing artists could probably do 60 or 80 lines um an hour in uh in person and today's today's session was extra hard though because the script had all sorts of problems it wasn't we weren't going slow because of me but we were still only getting like 30 lines an hour which is a pretty substantial drop in productivity comparatively but um but it's still it's still a lot of fun and uh, uh, this was a live action dub though I wasn't doing anime um, so but I can't tell you what it is so you'll just have to wait. <laughs> oh, live action dubs, uh, yeah, you're starting to see those more often because like hey, you know we need the yeah, work. This was a Russian Russian <laughs> film. <laughs> we need all the work we can get. So what is something I can dub that that'll pay well and you know can put on a resume but you can you know you can promote but yeah you know oh i i mean i'm i'm sure i'm not gonna get any fans or anything yeah. out of out of it um but i don't really care it it paid me money so <laughs> and and again like we mentioned earlier the netflix dubs pay a little better um they usually average like a, a hundred to 125 an hour instead so still better than um most other jobs, I guess. Yeah, still better than just like 65 bucks for an entire session. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and I'm probably going to have to wrap it up here in a minute. Uh, yeah, still yeah. Dinner, but uh, if there's any other dying, burning questions that you, you've no, been desperate to hear. No, no, I mean, I, I, where I'm just, I was just about to, to say, um, you know, before we go, where can people bother you on social media? Sure. Uh, I mostly nowadays am on uh, spending my time on Twitter. Uh, it's just twitter.com slash what he said VO. Uh, though I just did start a TikTok and it's actually been an adventure. Um, already got more than in, in like a month. I've gotten more than three times the followers that I had on Twitter. So TikTok's apparently the new place to be. Uh, so my TikTok is just Michael Schwalbe, S-C-H-W-A-L-B-E. And then uh, my website is B. <laughs> So my name, but with a period between the schwal and the B. I'm also finally uh, opening a little storefront thing um, with prints of some of uh, the different roles that I've done. So if you want some autographed, custom-messaged uh, prints of some of the games that I've been in, you can go to the, my website, and there will be a link there soon. And I'm also going to do a live signing event uh, in the near future. But I haven't quite pinned the date down for that yet. Um so stay tuned for that. Um, got prints for Devil May Cry 5, Balrog, Talk and Lupo from Ori and the Will of the Wisps, uh, the Combine from Half-Life Alex, and then uh, a whole bunch of the different Slay the Spire little critters that I voice. And uh, so lots of really cool uh, fan art that I had commissioned for those, and I think you'll really dig them. So also there's really not many other Michael Schwalbys around. There's a couple, but if they're like doctors and sociologists, you'll know that they're not me. So you can find me. All right, man. Thanks so much for taking the time out to do this. This has been pretty fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and uh, thanks for being a fan of Transformers and Double Dealer. And um, I'll see you, uh, talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.